Hey, just let me say thank you for giving me the best job in the universe. Uh, really, it's, it's great. Um, so um, I'm back. Uh, so what they just sang was in Dinka. Uh, anybody know Dinka? Then it was right. Okay, so uh, I translated as best I could. But so we're going to learn Dinka tonight. Okay, we're going to learn some basic uh, Dinka phrases. And it's really important. It's audience participation. If you don't do this, you won't go to heaven. Probably not true, but go with it. All right, so anyway, and the reason is I want you to learn this because later in this talk, uh, it's audience participation. I'm going to ask you this question. You're going to answer it back for me. But this is just some basic Dinka greetings that uh, Dinka is the language of, of this part of, of Sudan. So, so when I say to you, uh, Inopol, all right, so it should be here. Inopol, I'm asking, are you okay? So if I say Inopol, you answer Anopol. So Inopol? Very good. And then you turn around, you ask me, Inapol, am I okay? And I respond, Anapol, Apatharet. I'm okay? Very good. Okay? So we're going to try this whole thing. So go, no, stretch out. I don't know. All right. So here we go, right? So here we go. Ready? Inapol? Now ask me. Anapol, Apatharet. Got it? You're good. We're going to do it one more time. Should be going, I feel awkward. I know, I know. It's really right. So Inapol? Now ask me. Anapol, apatharet. Got that? Now, that's really, really good. Now, now file that away because we're going to come back to that. So I told you two weeks ago that, um, that right after the services, you know, two weeks ago, I was getting on a plane. I was headed to a small village called Maper. And this is where it is. Most of us don't know where that is. But it's located in, after 30 years of civil war, the newest country in the world. It just celebrated its one-year anniversary. It's called South Sudan. It's in East Africa. And I was asked there to go and speak at the opening of the clinic that you guys built that we partnered with an organization called Life in Abundance. And so I want to give you a quick update. And it actually ties into what I'm talking about tonight, all right? So, so one week ago, like today, all right, the ceremony started in this mud and tin church building. And then we moved outside uh, to the clinic, all right? So, so the clinic, and, and we had a dedication speech and a prayer and then a ribbon cutting you saw in the video there a minute ago. And then the rest of the day we partied. Just a, it was great. We killed a goat. It's awesome, all right? But not for the goat. But anyway, but, and then we ate rice and we sat under a tree. And, and I just talked to these village elders for, for a while, planning about the future and, and just talking about everything. And then as the sun started going down, they all had to get back to their villages before night came. And then there's dogs and hyenas and it's just not good. So anyway, so now, now let me tell you about the significance of this clinic. And I'm not going to do well here, so just hang with me, all right? Um, this clinic, um, you guys built it. Uh, this is the money in the buckets we talked about two weeks ago. The, the whole clinic costs less than $25,000, to build a hospital, okay? And, and here's the significance. This is the only medical facility of any kind within 100 kilometers, which is about three days' walk back to a town called Rumbek. But you have to walk through the largest, one of the largest swamps in the whole world. It's about half the size of Texas, all right? And, and the significance of this was really reinforced to me. Sunday morning, right after I spoke at the church service, a young boy, I'm going to do my best here, um, uh, was carried about five hours uh, by his sister. Um, five hours is better than three days, right, to our clinic. And his name is Chaw, and he's five or six years old. And when they brought him to us, I'm not turning around, he was unconscious, um, he was covered in diarrhea, and he just kept having convulsions there in the dirt. But because of our clinic, Kefa, our, our, our medical worker, was able to start an IV, hung it on the door or the window, and and try to rehydrate him and lower his fever and get him started on malaria meds and, and hopefully save his life. And I, I had prayer with him as he laid there on the, on the floor. We don't have any furniture for the clinic yet. Um, but, but then we had to get in the van and we had to take off because the rains were coming. And if we got caught out there, the, the roads would wash away. So we had, I prayed for him and then we, then we left. And, 
I wrote this talk Thursday, and so the, the next part of this talk was, it'll be a couple of weeks before I find out how Charles did, um, but he died. It sucks. And he died, like, right after we left, and he died of a sickness that's totally preventable, and it's easily to treat. Malaria is actually easy. It's simple to treat if you catch it early enough. But his family didn't know that. So they waited like the fourth or fifth day that he had a temperature of 104. And then they walked this six hours over to our clinic. You know, Paul? Ask me. No, I'm not. This has messed me up. It really messed me up. And maybe it's because I'm tired and I got jet, jet lag. I don't even know what day it is. But I think for some reason... And I don't, I don't, it just doesn't happen all the time, but maybe because I'm a dad or in a month I'm going to be a grandpa, you know, I don't know. But uh, for some reason, when I saw a little troll laying there on the floor of that clinic, I went right to, if that was my son, I, I went there. If that was my son, if that was Jordan, because Chol is somebody's son. He's somebody's Jordan, right? And I know, I know, because I just know this is really jerks in the world there's some people think well that's sad but it's just another poor black kid in africa dying and they die by the hundreds every day right you're right but to have an attitude like that's like saying people get shot every day so that theater thing that happened a couple weeks ago that's that's no big deal you say whoa, whoa that's different no it's not it just happened in our backyard the other one happens out of sight out of mind every day but both all needless death breaks God's heart, right? And, and neither of those things should ever have to happen, especially if we can prevent it, if we can be involved and, and do something about it, which in this case we can, which is why this clinic is going to be so important to this village in the future because not only are we going to teach people about Jesus, I mean, all, I guess all missionaries do that, but we're also going to teach parents how to take, keep their children from dying through this thing called CHE, which stands for Community Health Education. We're going to do both because here's the thing about all parts of the world. The only thing that will change our physical, physical world is we combine that with the spiritual needs of a person's heart. And that is true in Africa and it's true in Colorado. It's the same thing. Most bad things come out of the overflow of evil in people's hearts, right? Now, I tell you that for a couple reasons. The first one's obvious. I want you to see how God's using this place. I'm not going to harp on money. Don't run for the doors, all right? I mean, I just want you to know that's what the money in the buckets does. But I want you to see how God is using you all and this church to, to make a difference in the world to, to at least one little village and to hundreds of other little children that won't die like Chaw. But, but also, every time I go, and you guys, I, I have the best job in the world, but every time I get to go visit a place like Maupere, it just seems like God speaks clearer. And I don't really believe that. I actually think I just listen better, Right? Because he, he's, he's clear all the time. He's, he's, he's being very, very, very clear. And, and what I usually hear God say when I'm under a tree in Maupere or, or in Afghanistan or whatever, it's what he's been trying to get me to s- listen to for, for a long time. About, Jim, I want to talk to you about what's going on in your heart and what's in your life and what's going on at, at Flatirons. Now, I'll give you an example of this, okay? This is kind of my aha moment last week. But both times I, I, I've been to Maupere, all, all the men end up sitting under this big tree. Okay, women sit under another tree. This is the man tree. It's kind of like, um, it's, it's like the village like, conference room, okay? And we end up just talking about life. And I ask them stories about South Sudan. I ask them about the Civil War. And all, I ask them all these questions about what it's like to live here. And they ask me questions about what's it like to live in the United States and stuff like that. And, and one of the things that has come up both times I've been there is this cultural practice of the Dinka tribe, kind of that rite of passage. The, the second time, I, the first time I went there, that's where we got that whole red band thing out of, well, how does a boy become a man 
over there. And, and then I brought that back here. But, but we talked about this cultural thing that happens over in, 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 in South Sudan. Um, when, when a Dinka boy becomes a Dinka man, they actually sit him in, in, in a chair, all right? And they dig a little trench out in front of him. Then they, they take a sharp knife and they cut five deep cuts in his forehead, all, all the way to the bone, ear, ear to ear, all right? This is, this is Isaac. You see, see that? You, and, um, you, you can actually see, if you see Dinka people, this is very, very, very common. And it's a test. It's a test. And the test is this, all right? If he flinches, if he says stop, if he cries out, right, um, he fails. The tribe will look at him and say, you're, you're not a man. As a matter of fact, his family's actually standing behind him with sticks. If he flinches, they're going to beat him and they're going to say, you're not a man. And if he's not a man, he'll never be able to take a wife. He'll never be able to, to, to get married ever. It's a, it's a test. And you pass or you fail and there's no redo on it. And I know you're sitting there going, that's kind of harsh. That's kind of primitive. Well, you're right. It's a really harsh, primitive place. But the thing that's being tested there under that tree is, let me ask you this, kid. Can you face pain and hardship and not flinch? That's what's on trial. Do you have the courage to, to stay there, to, to not run, to stand and not cower when faced with what you know, because you've seen this happen to other guys, all right? You know it's going to hurt and it's going to leave scars. You'll never be the same after this. As a matter of fact, as you walk around for the rest of your life, every person you meet is going to look at you and go, that's a man who can stand up to hard times. That's a man who can, who can take anything that life throws at him or, or tries to cut him with and he can be trusted he can be trusted to stand firm. And if he could stand firm as a 13, 14-year-old kid, then maybe he could be trusted to take a wife and take care of some kids and be a leader in our community. That's what's on trial under that tree. You say, well, uh, what's that have to do with us? You're not suggesting that. Are, no, I'm not. What's that have to do with us? What's that have to do with Mojo? And I say a lot. A lot. And it's going to make sense in a minute. So hang on to that story and the Enopole stuff. We're going to come back to that in, in a few minutes. But, but, but let's go back to the story of Moses that we started with last week. And it's in your program there. It's in the Bibles, free Bibles in the back. And we're going to see how Moses and then these Dinka tribesmen in Africa and everybody in this room, our stories are all the same story. Watch this, all right? So let me, let me, let me catch you up if you missed last week. I missed last week. I watched it online. But, but anyway, here's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at the story of Moses. We left off a couple weeks ago with Joseph and we picked up with Moses yesterday. And, and here's the history lesson really quick and we'll jump into today's talk. All right? But for the past like almost 400 years, the Jewish people have lived in Egypt. And the reason they ended up in Egypt is because there was this big famine over that part of the world and they ran out of food back in Canaan. So the Egyptians actually said, come down here and, and live with us. And so about 400 years ago, they came down there and they lived. And in the last 400 years, God's blessed them and they've been very, very fruitful and they've multiplied so much so that there are almost almost as many Jewish people living in Egypt as Egyptians living in Egypt over these 400 years. And that causes the new king, the new pharaoh, to kind of look around, and, and, he, and he's afraid. We talked about this last week. He's afraid. What if all these Jewish people, these Hebrew people, decide this could be our country? We, 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 could, we could take over. And so, so, so the, the, the new king, he just discards and throws out all the promises, all the invitations that have been made to the Jewish people. And he commands, first of all, everybody's no longer a citizen. You're actually slaves. And I'm going to command all Jewish baby boys, two years and younger, to be executed as they come out of their mothers or thrown in the Nile River. And so there's this mass genocide 
going on in Egypt. And one woman defied the government and hid her baby boy in a basket by the river where he was found by the daughter of the king who came down there to, to swim or to bathe. And she adopted, you know, baby Moses as her own son. And so where we left off last week was Moses going from poor, condemned Jewish baby to living in the palace. I've been adopted by a, a, a princess. I'm a prince and I'm grandson to the king. Today we're going to pick up 40 years after the basket in the river. All right, just skip from one verse to the next. 40 years just go by like that. Moses is all grown up and he's now out at the work site that all the Jewish people are slaving in for the king. We're gonna pick up in Exodus chapter two, verse 11. Here we go, ready? It says this, one day after Moses had grown up, there's 40 years, all right? He went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Hebrew is a, a Jewish person, all right? One of his own people. Look, look at this. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the ground, in, in the sand. Now, honestly, I have heard this story all my life. Little kid in the basement, felt bored. I, I mean, Sunday school, I, I've heard this story all my life. And every time I've thought to myself, way to go, Moses. That, that, that's what I would do if I was Moses. You know, stand up for the abused and the weak, you know. Hey, Moses, you saw one of your own people being hurt and you remembered where you'd come from. You, you remembered your roots and all that. And you were so brave and you did the, the right thing. And, and maybe that's what happened. Maybe that's exactly the way it happened. Maybe that's the truth. But I was in my office and I'm reading it this, this week and there's this one, one verse that jumped out at me. Look, look down at verse 12 real quick. It says this. It says, glancing this way and that way and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. You look at, see that? Looking both ways. Making sure that nobody was watching. Ma- making sure I'm gonna do something kind of harsh, kind of rash, and I wanna make sure that it's not gonna cost me anything. Nothing's gonna come back and bite me. And when he figured out, you know, he's not going to get caught, then he stood up and did the right thing. And then he hid the evidence of what he had done. And here's what kind of hit me in the face with this one, all right? It's easy to be brave. It's easy to do the right thing when you don't think there's going to be any pushback on you. Right? It's easy to do the right thing when it's not going to cost you anything, isn't it? I mean, you can do these great heroic spiritual things and pat yourself on the back and go, oh, I'm so brave. Right? I did the right thing. Get even a little self-righteous. Like, if, if people just knew who I really was, you know, and, and they, 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 they would try to be like me. We get really self-righteous when we do all these things that don't cost us anything. Let's keep reading. Verse 13. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. So two Jewish slaves are fighting one another. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And I, I can't prove this. I wasn't there. I haven't seen this part of the movie anyway. But anyway, but I, I'll bet Moses was a little smug when he said this. A little, little condescending, like as in, well, why are you doing this? Because if you knew what I did for you yesterday, you, you'd probably, you know, I'm so spiritual, I'm so brave, all right? But that's, look, look at the next verse. The man says, so this is the fighting guys, all right? Who made you our ruler? Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known. And this, my friends, if you're taking notes, is what the Bible calls an oh crap moment. It's the Bible, I, I call it that. The Bible doesn't, but it should. Anyway, so, and it usually involves that phrase, what I did must have become known, doesn't it? Isn't that your story? Because it's mine, right? I mean, almost every major regret of my life, and there's a lot, they're not your business, all right? But every shameful moment, every painful apology I've had to kind of go through, every fear of being found out involves that, phrase, that same phrase, oh no, what I did must have become known. Right? We've all thought that. 
And it does become known. Look at the next verse. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, that's on the other side of the desert, where he sat down by a well. We'll pick up the story there next week. But this leads to the second thing I have in common with this story. Almost every regretful, shameful, painful, fearful moment of my life also involves the next thing Moses did. He fled. He ran. I don't want to face my problems. I'm going to run away. So he ran. I run. I don't want to deal with that right now. I don't want the repercussions to fall in my life. So I run. You go, yeah, yeah, but, but, but Pharaoh tried to kill Moses. I've run too. He had to run, didn't he? Nope. No, he didn't. See, you, you can look at what Moses just did out there in that, in that work site. One of two ways. Either it was a criminal act of murder. I mean, if, if, if he did that in America, he'd go to prison, right? He just, he just, it was a criminal act of murder or a noble act of protecting someone who was being abused. Either way, whatever Moses chose to do next came out of one place in his life. Fear. He was afraid. And then he made his decisions out of that. What's going to happen to me? Well, how, how do I protect myself from anything painful happening to me? And then you have to contrast that with the story we've been looking at over the last month and a half, two months in here, the story of Joseph. A man who wasn't raised, you know, in a palace, like some fairy tale, almost fairy tale story being rescued by a princess. Now, that's not his life. He got thrown in a well, betrayed by his family, you know, sold into slavery, and then, then cast into a prison for crimes he didn't commit. Moses committed the crime. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Joseph, a man who, who whenever he was confronted with a painful, potentially dangerous, you know, deadly situation, his response was, I'm going to do the right thing because I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God's with me. Even when he stood before a king and said, okay, king, you ask, I'm going to give you some really bad news. And nobody gives you bad news because everybody thinks you're like God. So I'm going to say this to you. You're not going to like it. And I know you could crush me. You have the power to kill me, but I got to say it. I got to do the right thing. Here it is. I, I'm going to tell you the truth because I believe God is good. And I'm standing here in front of the king that can kill me. And God's with me. And whatever I face and whatever happens, God's going to take care of me. And you know what that's called, by the way? Faith. Faith. It's called faith. And every decision you and I make, every choice, you know, deal on the table, whatever you want to call it, every decision we make comes from one of two places. It either comes from a fearful place or a faithful place, right? Everything comes out of fear or faith. And here's what, what, or, or, here's what I think is going to take care of me, so I'm going to do this. Here's what I think is going to protect me. I have the best chance of surviving what I'm about to go through based on this, and I base that on fear or faith. And God took care of Joseph because he said he would. You know, taking him in one moment from a slave to second in command of Egypt in the same country where five minutes before he'd been enslaved. And I can't prove this. This is just me sitting in my office, so you don't have to believe this part of the talk, all right? Just thinking out loud. And there's some of these people, I know there's some of you that know the Bible much better than me, and you're going to come up in the lobby and shoot holes in my theory, but don't, okay? But I, I, I was just wondering, what if Moses had just had a little faith? You know, the kind that Joseph had. I, I wonder if the next 40 years that we're going to cover over the next two weeks in here, I wonder if the next 40 years could have been avoided and the Jewish people could have gotten out of slavery decades earlier if Moses had not run from his problems because he was afraid of what might happen next. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. But what happens in that construction site that day set in motion the next 40 years of Moses' life. And what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks in here is that God really only has one agenda for Moses. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you from, oh no, what I did must have been found out. What am I going to do to protect me? How can I hide? 
How can, I, uh, how can I make more decisions motivated by fear? He's going to change him to one of the greatest leaders in the history of the world who will eventually, we'll see down the road in a couple of weeks, make every decision based on faith. I'm going to do that because God is great. We're going to go there because God's going to lead us and things are going to get really, 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 really tough. But we, I believe in faith that God will supply everything we need. The next 40 years are about changing him. And here's the other part of the story that strikes me, all right? You know, a lot of people are really critical of the Bible. I don't believe it. It's just a bunch of fairy tales, right? Yeah, but think about this. Do you know who wrote this part of the Bible? Moses. He wrote this. And I've got to be honest with you because you know I'm not a very good person. But if I was writing down the events, if I was Moses, all right, that this is how people are going to remember me by thousands of years from now, I, I would have left this part out. Right? Or I would have rewritten it a little bit different, you know, kind of changed history a little bit. And I would have been much braver in this story, a courageous defender of the weak and the oppressed. Wouldn't you? I, I would not have written, I looked this way and that way, made sure no one was looking, and I murdered a guy and then hit him in the sand like a coward, and then I, I jumped town for 40 years. But that's what he did. That's why I love the Bible. And we, we started this series back in the summer, or at the beginning of the summer this way. It's just made up of people like you and me. And some days they do the right thing, and sometimes they don't, right? And then somewhere in their journey, they decide, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to obey him. Or I'm going to keep on running. And again, that's our story. Everybody's got that, got that story. And here's what I mean. We're going to get out of here a little bit early. Don't leave early because the last songs are just great. It makes up for two weeks ago. Shut up. All right, so uh, um, all summer long, we keep coming back to the same word. The same thing. It's, it's all about Faith. It's all about faith, over and over. Can I trust God, or is he gonna let me down? Can I trust God, or is he gonna be there for me? He's gonna take care of me, he's gonna keep his promises. And whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's your fault, like Moses, this is his fault. He got mad or whatever, and he, and he killed a guy. It was his fault. Or maybe it's somebody else's fault, like Joseph. He didn't do anything wrong. All right, can, can, can you believe that no matter what pain or hardship is about to come your way, that you don't have to flinch, that you don't have to run, and this is where we're going to go next week. Or, or can you believe that God is who he says he is? And the Hebrew phrase for that is, ready? This is going to be really famous. Ready? God is, I am. It literally translates, he is. God's name is, he is. And the, the Hebrew word for God is, I am, is actually Yahweh. Right? Yahweh. And it actually means, I am. He is the Lord. Let me, let me tie all this together, right? See, I was a sociology minor in, in college, all right? I love to study ancient cultures, all right? I, and it's kind of cool for me to get to go to Africa and study primitive tribal customs. But the truth is, those, I'm going to tie it all together. Here we go, right? Th- those Dinka tribesmen are trying to do the same thing that you and I are trying to do every day, figure out who we can trust and prove if we're trustworthy or not, Right? That's, that's why we spend our whole life. Can I trust him? He's asked me to marry him. Can I trust that he'll, he'll be there and take care of me? Or is he going to run when things get really, really hard? Can I trust my parents? Because last, last month, they were not very trustworthy. Can I trust my kids? Can I trust that person? Can I trust that person? And then people are looking at us going, can I trust you or not? Because last time, it didn't go well when I trusted you. You got some, some cut your life or got really uncomfortable, and you, you got out of the chair and you ran. And I don't know if I'm going to take another shot with you or, or not. Can I be trusted or can I trust you? Right? Or will they fail me again? See, see, the more I think about this, all right? God had to take Moses to the next 40-year ride of his life because he knew about Moses and he knows about us. Moses wasn't ready to be the leader that God needed him to be. And the people that were going to follow him needed him to be. And the same way he looks at us and goes, I-, I need you to be a better man. I need you to be a better 
Mom, I, I need you to be a better person. I need you to be a better leader. And I'm going to spend the next season of your life carving into you and pushing into you and transforming you into a new person. And so the next season of Moses' life, we're about transforming his heart so that out of his heart, his mouth and his hands and his decisions would say and do and lead people in the right direction. God would have been foolish to turn these people over to that coward that hid people in the sand. Right? And see, it, it, that's how it works. Hundreds of years later, Jesus said and taught the same thing. Look at this. And you probably have heard this before, right? Look at this. Jesus is saying the good man, so a good person, brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart or her heart. And the evil man, what makes him evil, right? Brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart or her heart. For out of, this is it, ready? Out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Out of what's going on in your heart, the real you, that's you. That's why you said that. That's why you did that. That's why you chose that. Out of the overflow of your heart, your mouth speaks. Are you getting this? Are you getting this how it all ties together? See, everything that you say and do is nothing more than a symptom of what's going on inside of a person's heart. That's Jesus. Now, let's get back into this, get into some application, how this all ties together with faith and mojo and you and me and Dinka people, right? See, some of us right now are sitting in this room, and we are facing some really scary, painful, cutting things, aren't we? So much so that when we heard that Dinka story, we, we were sitting there going, I, I'd rather sit in a chair and have them cut slices in my face than have to do what I have to go do, right? And again, some of us find ourselves in that place because we screwed up. We, we just messed up. We made a really, really bad decision, you know? We, 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 we had that, oh no, what I did must have become known moment. And now we're in a really painful, scary place. And you gotta be honest, right? And it's your fault. You can't blame anybody else. I did that. I chose that. I knew what was right and I chose it. It's my fault that I'm in this really scary place. Some of us find ourselves in that really scary, painful place, not because of a choice or decision we made, but, because, but, but by things that are totally out of our control. Somebody else's bad decision landed on you. And you're paying for it now, right? You didn't vote for it. You didn't have any say in it. You had no control. You didn't get to choose. Something happened. Or here's the other thing, folks. Something is going to happen later today. And it's going to land on you. And it's going to be really, really scary and really, really, really painful. You're going to try to figure out, what am I going to do? See, no matter which place you find yourself in, here's what we all have in common, every person on the planet. No matter where you are or what you believe about Jesus, this is true. And it goes like this. Whenever we find ourselves in a hard, scary, difficult, cutting, painful, it's going to scar my life spot. Whatever we do next, whatever we choose to do next, it will, according to Jesus, reveal what's going on in here. Right? It will reveal, do, do I believe that God is the great I am? When he says I am good, do I believe he really is and will be good to me? When he says that I am and I, and, I, and I will be your strength and protection, do I believe that he really is? And he will be. And I'm gonna make my decisions out of that or will it reveal I don't, I don't, I don't trust him. I don't believe him. And I'm gonna try to run away and not face what's in front of me, which by the way, write this down, never works. Because you know what? Moses' problems were waiting on, on the other side of the desert. And yours are too. It's never worked out well in the past, has it? Remember Scott talked about this last week. A decision that's motivated by fear is never a good decision. It never is. And I get it. I'm not throwing stones because I wrestle with this too, all right? For some of us, it's really, really hard to trust that God is good and take care of us because in the moment when the cuts are happening, right, right, it doesn't feel that way, does it? 
So what do we do when we're sitting in the chair and the knife is to our forehead or we're facing the fire or we're facing the, 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 the consequences of our actions or somebody else's actions? What do we do so we don't flinch, so we don't run? And here's what Jesus said to do. He said, I want you to remember. I want you to take a breath and I want you to remember. Remember what? Remember who God really is what he's already done and promises to continue to do in your life. When, when we're afraid, I, I, I tend to panic, don't you? The last thing I'm thinking about is God was good to me yesterday. I don't care about yesterday. Right now I'm going, all I know is it hurts today. And I dismiss everything in the past. And I forget. So what Jesus says is, listen, you're gonna forget. So whenever you're facing a really painful moment, I want you to stop. I want you to take a breath and I want you to remember. See, that's, that's why every weekend in here, I mean, about once a month in here, we all take communion together right? But every week, every weekend, along the back walls, there's these tables back there, and, and, and there's bread on them, and there's, there's juice on them, and we call it communion. If you grew up Catholic, maybe you call it the Eucharist or something like that, but it's these two symbols that Jesus gave us, not for his benefit. He gets nothing out of communion. It's for you, because you're going you're gonna to tend to forget. He says, I want you to take a piece of bread and a little cup of wine, all right? It's two symbols, so you can remember that Jesus, what Jesus gave to remind you that no matter what happens today or later today or tomorrow in your life, you have to remember that 2,000 years ago, God already demonstrated how much he loves you, how far he was willing and is willing to go and committed to lean in your direction to make sure that you know he's still with you. Now, I really am. I'm almost done. I got seven minutes left. I'm gonna take them. All right, here we go. All right, see, the other thing, every time I go to Africa, and I warned Ken, Ken's the guy who shot all that video, all right? I said, let me tell you what's gonna happen is that when you go to Africa and go to church in Africa, it's like stepping back about 40 or 50 years in music world. They don't have this, okay? They don't have electricity, so they don't have this, all right? And so, and I was right, all right? And it's like, you go back to these, these songs that I used to sing when I was a little kid. My dad was the, the pastor, all right? And so every morning, this is what would happen over in Africa. And if you ever go with me, this is what's gonna happen. I'm just warning you, all right? Well, you'll, you'll go out and you'll get around this little table in this mud room with a tin roof and we'd have our Bible. And then Richard, who's the Sudanese director, all right? He would pass out a little songbook filled with these old, old hymns. And Ken, Ken didn't grow up in the church. He's like, I never heard this before. There's a song in here that goes, there's a fountain filled with blood. That's, that sounds horrible. <laughs> or a great episode of Dexter. Whatever that is, all right? It's like, it's like what, what, what is that? I'm like, let me explain it to you, Ken. It's okay. But, so we started singing these really old hymns. Like, like, like this one. Trust and obey. You've got to have faith. And then you have to get up out of your chair and go obey him. There's no other way to, to be happy, to be complete in Jesus, but to trust, have faith, and obey. And, and that means, in Africa anyway, is this, the only way to walk your path, or in, in Africa you call it, the only way to walk God's trail for your life is you've got to have faith in your heart. And then out of the overflow of your heart, you get up out of chairs like this, and you go get in your car, and you obey. You do what God's telling you to do. And the other song that we sang that I love it goes, it goes like this. And a few weeks ago, Florence from Kenya was here. She referred to it. And the band sang it before. I came up here today, but I, I sang this so many times when I was a kid. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Isn't it? Just to take him out of his word. Just to rest. Just to lean upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus. How I, I trust him, how I've proved him or and or, he showed up every time. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace, let's trust him more. 
So we're going to sing that together. And here's the application. No, no matter what it is you're facing tonight or tomorrow that you're going to have to face, you're going to have to face it. Like it or not. You don't get a vote on it. You can try to run from it. It just won't work. So here's your choices. You can either face it and go through it with faith, faith that you can trust Jesus or you can face it and go through it all by yourself. But either way, you still have to go through it. So what if during this song, these words became your prayer? God, I'm asking. I'm not very good at it tonight, but I'm trying. I'm trusting. And I tend to forget, and so I need to be reminded. I need to stop and eat some bread and juice on the way out of the room, all right? I need to be assured that you are still with me, and you will be with me to the end. So my prayer tonight, God, is help me not to run. I always run. But help me to trust you in my heart so that out of the overflow of that trust, I'll get up out of this chair and get my car and I'll go do what I need to do. You know, Paul? That's me. Anna Paul. And here's why I can say that. Jesus is really good. Amen? Let's pray. God, I'm going to come before you tonight um, ask nothing for myself. Uh, but there's a dad in South Sudan who uh, is burying his little boy, Chaw. And there's people in Denver that are burying their sons and daughters and husbands and wives and boyfriends and girlfriends. And the reason is our world's just really jacked up. We can't fix it all, but we can ask you, what, what would you have us to do? And your answer would be, just trust me. And just do what I tell you to do. And, and I'll take care of the things that you can't do. And so I pray for the Charles family. And I, and I pray for all those families in those the shootings in Denver. I pray for them every day, God. But I want to pray for people in this room that, you know, they're sitting here going... You know, compared to what I have to go through, you know, getting cut by a knife is nothing. I have to go through and make some really hard decisions, and I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what I've done has been found out, or what I've done in the past is going to get found out. Or I'm just going to, I'm about to do something, I hope it never gets found out. And so God, in faith, I just, I just ask that we lean our lives against you and say, I don't know where you're going to take me, God. I don't know what you're going to do in my life. I just know that I need you in my life and I need to lean against you more than I leaned against you yesterday. I need help. I need protection. I need to know that you are with me as I go through what I have to go through and that you'll be with me and not give up on me. God, so many times we think you're going to give up on us, but if you gave us Jesus, why do we think that on a July evening in Colorado, you would look at us now and go, that's all I've got, that we really can trust you and follow you. It really is, God, sweet to lean our lives against you. Because if we didn't have you, who would we lean our lives against? Because everybody we've tried to lean against so far moved. So we come to you and we ask for more faith than we currently have. We lift up your name, Jesus, and exalt you above every other name. It's really sweet to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.